Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. In the first century, Rome was the city that dominated the world. As a matter of fact, one historian is quoted as saying that Rome was a city that ruled the world. So went Rome, so went the rest of the world. By A.D. 64, Rome was at the pinnacle of its dominance on the globe. And Rome experienced a great tragedy. In A.D. 64, Rome burned. For six days, they could not get the fire extinguished. For those six days, the fire caused widespread devastation. And by the end of the six days, when they had the fire put out, half of the city of Rome had been destroyed. Think about the great cities of our day. New York City. London. Los Angeles. The great cities around the world that shape so much of what... Imagine six days from now, one of those cities, half of it's gone. It's what happened in the first century in AD 64. And most people believed, and historians record, that the most probable cause for the fire that burned down half of Rome was its wicked emperor named Nero. Nero was all but completely crazy. He, he was a wicked dictator, this emperor who ruled from a very evil point of view. And most believe, and even the rumor mill in that day was that Nero had set his own city on fire. And stories even tell us that as, as Nero watched Rome burn... He was playing a fiddle, watching it burn to the ground. But being the egomaniac that Nero was, once the story began to circulate that he caused the fire, he decided to concoct a different version of the events and propagate a story that would diffuse blame from himself. There was a relatively new group of people in society who were growing rapidly that had begun to be called Christians. And Nero decided the best thing he could do to get people to not be mad at him would be to blame this upstart group called Christianity. And so that's exactly what he did. 
One of the great Roman historians, he was actually a senator in the Roman Senate, was a man by the name of Tacitus. Tacitus wrote what many believe to be the pinnacle of Roman history, and it's in a series of works called the Annals. I want you to look at a quote from the Annals that Tacitus wrote in A.D. 116 describing what Nero did to Christians. It says, To get rid of the report, Nero fastened guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt, to serve as nightly illumination when daylight had expired. It's not a Christian historian, secular historian, not a believer. And he's writing about what happened after the fire of Rome. And here's what he said Nero did to to diffuse blame. He blamed the Christians and he would take Christians and he would cover them in some type of meat or animal skin that would attract the wild dogs. And he would turn wild dogs loose on them with that raw meat until the dogs would attack the human being thinking it was just a piece of meat and They would devour the flesh of that human being until they were dead. He said that they would take Christians, and once it had gotten dark, to provide lighting for the streets, they would hang them on poles and they would set them on fire alive. And it was their burning corpses that would light the streets of the city. As you can imagine, that was a pretty difficult time in early Christian history. So historians tell us that what happened is that Christians began to scatter. They literally ran for their lives. They settled all throughout the Roman Empire. (laughs) And what happened as a result was Christianity spread like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire. But when the believers scattered, they scattered to places like Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, all sorts of regions outside of Rome. And in the midst of what I just described for you, Simon Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, writes them a letter. It's a letter that was a circular letter. It was written to be passed around from Christian to Christian, from groups of Christians to groups of Christians, to bring encouragement and hope in a very discouraging time. And can you imagine what it must have been like for them to have been handed, in the midst of what they were facing, a letter written by one of the men that had walked personally with Jesus for three and a half years. We have that letter in our Bibles called the book of 1 Peter. 
If you have your Bible, I want you to open to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're visiting with us, we've been studying through this letter together now for about a year. In chapter 4, verse 12, we're going to pick up. And I want you to listen to what this letter says in light of the story that I just recounted for you. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. When you know what they were facing, you hear these words with a little more severity and seriousness. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of His glory, you may Rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian... He is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner therefore? Those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. A little more weight with those words when you understand the context of history into which they have been written. It's been a heavy week for me just digging into these verses of Scripture. It's hard to unpack this truth. It's hard to understand the context and the culture of what they were facing and also to understand the context and culture of many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the world today. In the context of our prosperity and comfort, and often weak and anemic expression of Christianity. It's a challenging thing to dig into these verses. But what we're going to do this weekend and next weekend is unpack the text that I've just read for you. What I just read for you, we're going to look at over two weekends. And we're going to unpack some truth about spiritual suffering. Spiritual suffering. The first question we got to ask and answer is, what is spiritual suffering? 
Because we read these verses like this sometimes, and immediately some of us begin to think about things in our lives with that attitude of, oh, yeah, I'm suffering for Jesus. But we need to understand what Peter's writing about here. He's not here writing about self-inflicted suffering. He's not writing about something that you're facing as a Christian because, or I'm facing as a Christian because of my arrogance and my ignorance and my mouth that often speaks when I should be thinking and listening and communicating with my Father. He's not talking about the kind of stuff that we've created on our own. He's not talking about self-inflicted suffering. Stuff that we've brought into ourselves because we've stepped outside the parameters of grace and humility and Christ-likeness and how we've tried to confront a culture that's just lost. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about the consequences of sinful actions. Sometimes, because we step outside of God's boundaries, we have consequences in our lives that are uncomfortable. God's grace and God's forgiveness. We sang about it a moment ago. Michael led us in that song, Covered. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Amen. God's grace is amazing. God's grace restores us. God's grace forgives us. But it does not always remove the consequences to our actions. He's not talking about that. He's not talking here about general stressful situations that we're all going to face in life. Oh, I'm just so stressed out. I'm suffering for Jesus. It's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about general hardships. Now listen, I'm not saying those things we've talked about aren't real. They are all very real. It's just not what he's talking about here. Peter uses some different words to describe suffering. Look in verse 12. He calls it a fiery ordeal. It's a word that describes the act or condition of being set on fire. It's speaking to the severity of the discomfort that they were experiencing. He uses in verse 13 the word suffering. It's a word that comes from a root that means to be affected by evil from without. It's the idea of experiencing mistreatment. Because of Christ. In verse 14, he uses the word reviled. It's a word that means to assail with abusive words or to heap insults upon somebody. All three of these words describe an experience that no one would ever want. And the last two words make it very clear that it's an experience that comes upon us from the outside as a result of how we're living our lives. As we've walked through 1 Peter together, there's a spiritual truth that we've laid down over and over and over again. I want to put it back up on the screen. I want you to read it out loud with me. You ready? One, two, three. The Christian life is simply who you are in Christ becoming Christ in you. That's the Christian life. The Christian life is not you and me trying to live for Jesus. The Christian life is you and I, by the grace of God, being conformed to the image of Christ to the degree that the life of Christ is being lived out through us. It's who we are in Christ becoming Christ in us. And as we've walked through this letter together, we've said 
that when who you are in Christ becomes Christ in you and Christ begins to live his life through you, that is going to attract a reaction from the people around you. Sometimes that reaction is positive and it leads to opportunities to have conversations about the gospel. They want to know what it is in you that's so different. But sometimes that reaction is not positive at all. Sometimes it comes in the way of opposition. And that's what Peter is addressing here. These people had so been conformed to the image of Christ that Christ in them was living through them and the people around them were reacting to that and coming against them. So let me give you a definition of spiritual suffering. We're going to use this weekend and next. Here it is. It's a temporary. That's a good place to say amen. Amen? Now, before you get too excited about that, our whole life on earth is temporary. The amen went to oh me, right? A temporary undesired if you have some kind of martyr's complex and you're walking around looking for suffering something is wrong with you a temporary undesired consequence of the life of Christ in me that is spiritual suffering And that is what Peter is addressing in these verses. And that is one of the reasons why this was a difficult week for me. Because the honest reality is that Christianity in America is so weak and so anemic that many of us are not even remotely familiar with this concept. Not all. So today, really my prayer, this weekend and next, is that that you'll hear this in one of two ways. Number one, if you're here today and you're facing spiritual suffering, I pray today that the Holy Spirit of God will take the Word of God and bring healing and encouragement to your soul. I realize that that our our weekend messages, about every six months, we're downloaded in over 100 countries around the world. Last year, over 50,000 messages down. I realize that we got brothers and sisters around the world who God may have us in this text today, not for anybody in this room. It may be for... Some soul on the other side of the world who's facing some stuff. But my prayer is that if you're living there, either in this audience or in an online audience, that that the Holy Spirit of God will take the Word of God and just breathe life into your soul. Here's the second way I hope you hear this. Although we have not seen much of this in our context in America, it is coming. And I pray that you hear this today prophetically. And by that I mean, I pray that the Word of God 
buries deep into your soul so that in the weeks or months or years to come, when you face that the Holy Spirit of God will draw from the well of His Word in you and bring application to your life. So with that, let me give you three realities concerning spiritual suffering. Number one, following Jesus means you will suffer. This is going to be a real feel-good message today, all right? Let me just tell you. (laughs) Following Jesus means you will suffer. Peter says to them, verse 12, Beloved, don't be surprised. He says to them, Don't think some strange thing were happening to you. Surprised and strange. Two words that come from a root word that we get our English word foreigner from. The root of these two words describes someone who doesn't belong here. They're not native here. They're from somewhere else. Here's what was happening. These Christians, they'd given their lives to Christ. They were growing in Christ's likeness. The church was exploding and Then all of a sudden, this persecution began to set in. And the next thing they knew, brothers and sisters in Christ were being murdered for their faith. They're being fed to dogs. They're being burned to death. Everybody's on the run. And they're looking around at each other going, what in the world is happening? This is strange. Peter says, "Don't, don't think it's strange. There's a dangerous philosophy being taught in the American church. And listen to me, this philosophy, it creates success from the world's point of view because you can fill buildings and arenas and conference centers with it. This philosophy says, if you'll just have enough faith, then you will not experience difficulty. Or if you do experience difficulty, if you'll just have enough faith, you'll just get delivered out of it. Listen to me this morning very clearly. That is a lie. It is a lie. I know that's not popular. I know that's not going to get me invited to speak places. I know that's not going to get my pretty face on the cover of a book somewhere. But it is a lie. How dare us stand today in 2015 and preach from the Gospels where our brothers and sisters in Christ were dying so that we can hear about Jesus and say, if they'd have just had enough faith, God help us. And God help the world because we are spitting and spewing that message out to every corner of the globe. And it is wreaking havoc among our brothers and sisters in Christ who are not experiencing the prosperity of America. If what we're preaching is not cross-cultural, what we're preaching is not biblical. The Bible was not written for North America. The Bible was written for the peoples of the earth. If it doesn't work everywhere, we shouldn't use it anywhere. When our gospel says you get new cars and new garages and the rest of the world doesn't have food on their table, it's not a true gospel.
I need to move on. <laughs> Look what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The word persecution means to be pursued with repeated acts of animosity. He didn't say you might or maybe. He said you will. The more you and I grow in Christ, following Jesus means you will suffer. For every follower of Jesus, there will be seasons where simply because of Christ in you, others will react against you. Now listen, it won't look the same for all of us. For some of you today, the way it looks is that you've been rejected by family. Some of you came to Christ. And you've begun to walk in Jesus. And Christ in you has begun to live through you. And it's begun to change the way you think. It's changed the way that you establish your priorities. Christ is changing the things that you value. The things that you used to want, you don't want anymore. And some of you have family members that treat you differently. Some of you have family members that ridicule you. Some of you even have family members that have completely turned their back on you. Simply because of Christ. I'm not talking about because you keep giving them books and CDs. I'm talking about just Christ in you. They've rejected you. And you know what I'm talking about when I say spiritual suffering. Some of you, it's not family, it's friends. You've come to Christ in the circle of people that you run with. They don't want to run with you anymore. You don't value what they value. You don't love what they love. You don't laugh at what they laugh at anymore. And it's not because you think you're better than them. You know, but for the grace of God, you'd be right there with them. It's just Christ in you is changing you. And friends have walked out of your life. For some of you, it means you've lost business. Some of you have made your business a platform where you use it as an opportunity, not in an offensive way, but just in an authentic way to share Christ with other people. And some of you have business relationships that have been lost, some even to the point you've lost your job. Some of you have been terminated because of your love for Jesus. Some of you have faced verbal attacks. Some of you have had people talk about you and say negative things. There's old so-and-so. You know who they are, the Christians. With the advent of social media, it's gotten much more public. And for some, some have even lost their life. We were... We were studying this passage of Scripture this week in our teaching team meeting. We gather every Tuesday morning early, and we start before the rest of the staff gets here. And We always we rotate it, but five or six guys off our pastoral team come together, and we talk about our texts for the upcoming weeks. And 
this Tuesday morning, we gathered early in the morning, and we're about to read this passage of Scripture. And in our group this week was our church planter that's in residence with us who's planting a church among Persian-speaking peoples here in Las Vegas. He opened up his phone. And he'd received a message from some brothers and sisters in the Middle East. And it was a video. Block by block, you watch these terrorists tear down their church building. And as they were tearing it down on the video, there's a woman who's a Christian that they have hung up like a hog that you would be barbecuing. And they're literally burning her alive. And getting in the camera with smiles and pointing and When I saw that this week, all kinds of emotion ran through me. Just as raw and honest as I can be. I mean, I'm reading and I'm studying about what happened in Rome and I'm watching on an iPhone a sister burn. My first reaction was probably like yours. I was mad. I thought, give me a gun. I'll go fix this. I'm just being honest. Then it went from being angry to almost out and out hatred. Then I felt despair, hopelessness. Then I felt guilt because I've got it so easy. We didn't give up anything to be here this morning. And I felt grief because my sister in Christ was dying for the gospel. As I thought on, I couldn't get it off my mind all week long. I don't, I don't know that I ever will. Here's the words that God put into my heart out of John 15. Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. In this last sentence, but all these things they do to you for my name's sake, because, they do not know 
the one who sent me. And here's what I thought. And all of my pious anger, but for the grace of Almighty God, that could be me in that video. What if you'd been born there instead of here? Following Jesus means you will suffer. Let me give you a second reality. Following Jesus means that you can rejoice when you suffer. (laughs) I know what you're thinking. You've got to be kidding me. Rejoice? After what you just described? Rejoice? Peter wrote it in in, in this letter. He wrote it to people that were facing it. And listen to what he said in verse 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, he says, to the degree that you're suffering, keep on rejoicing. It's an imperative. He wasn't laying it out as a suggestion. He says, to the degree that you're suffering, you be glad. You say, wait a minute. I can't do that. Peter knew that. Our natural reaction is not to rejoice in the midst of suffering. Our natural reaction is what I said a moment ago. It's anger. It's hatred. It's retaliation. It's discouragement. It's moping around. It's depression. But listen, in the midst of spiritual suffering, I don't have to rely on my natural response. I can have a supernatural response because of Christ in me. I can draw on the very life of Christ in me to manifest His joy Through me. How do we do that? Well, we do it in a couple of ways. First of all, you can rejoice now by faith in God's promise. Look what he said in verse 12. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. The word testing is a word that was a very familiar word. It was a trial for the purpose of purifying. It was borrowed from the the, the blacksmith trade. If if they were refining gold in the crucible, what they would do is they would place the gold ore into the pot and then they would stoke the fire until the fire got so hot that what would happen in the crucible is the ore would begin to separate from the gold. And as the gold separated from the ore, the gold would sink down to the bottom of the crucible and the blacksmith or the goldsmith would come across the crucible and he would scoop out the ore, removing it from the gold. And then he would do it again. He would stoke the fire even hotter so that the flames grew up more and the the pot got hotter and the, the crucible began to boil and the gold again would begin to separate from the ore, and as the gold sank to the bottom, he would scrape the ore off the top. And every time he would do that, here's what the goldsmith would do. He would look into the crucible, 
for his reflection in the gold at the bottom of that crucible. And he was not finished with the process until it gotten so hot that so much ore had been removed that he could look into that crucible and see his perfect reflection. Then the purifying was done. Here's what Peter said. When you suffer, rejoice. Because God has made you a promise. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, the Bible says, For we know that God causes all things to work together for our good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Then in verse 29, he tells us the purpose for those whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. Here's what Peter says. You and I by faith can rejoice even in suffering because here's what we know. Even when the fire is hot, God in his grace is at work in the midst of the fire and he's doing what he said he was going to do. He is conforming me to the very image of his son. He is working in me until he can look into my life and see nothing but a reflection of himself in the midst of my suffering. When it's difficult, when it's dark, I can by faith say, God, I trust you. And even though I don't feel it, God, by faith, I have joy. It's the same joy Jesus had on the cross. You see, on the cross... The cross was not joyful. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, say it out loud, set before him endured the cross. You see, the cross was not joyful, but what the promise, that the promise of what the Father was accomplishing through the cross brought joy to Jesus, listen, I'm not saying today that if you are suffering spiritually, it's a joyful experience. It is not. But you can find joy knowing that he's at work in the midst of the suffering. So, first of all, we can rejoice. We can find joy by faith in the promise of what God's doing now. But listen, one day, one day by sight, We will rejoice in his presence. Look what he said. Look back at verse 13. Look at verse 13. So that, look at it, at the revelation of his glory. When is that? That's when he comes again. When we see him just as he is. At the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with, say it out loud, exaltation. Big fancy word. You know what it really means? The core of that word, the root of of that word, you know what it means? It means to leap. To leap. Oh, now by faith, by faith I grab hold of the promise of God. And I say, God, I don't feel it. God, I don't understand it. But Lord, by faith, I lay hold of the promise that you're using my suffering for your glory and for my good. And here's what the book says. When I see him, I'm going to leap into his arms. 
because I'm not going to have to experience it by faith. With my eyes, I will see what he promised. And I'm just going to jump for joy. We'll leap with joy. Oh, listen. Friday afternoon on crucifixion weekend was a dark afternoon. The only joy on Friday was joy by faith. They watched him beaten. They watched him crucified. They watched him die. They were scared by faith. They held on to a promise, but that's all they had. But listen to me. On Sunday morning, what they held on to by faith became leaps of joy. They began to leap. And listen, here's what I want you to hear me say. For every Friday of spiritual suffering in the life of a believer, there is a resurrection Sunday coming. For everyone. Let me give you the last one. Well, let me just say this before I do. I, I had this thought this morning. That woman I watched on that phone. All she had hanging over that fire was faith in the promise of God. Oh, but listen. One breath out of this life, she was leaping into the arms of our Father. If we could see now what she sees, she would say, don't you cry for me. Don't you feel sorry for me. We're going to leap. Let me give you a third one. Following Jesus means when you suffer, God is accomplishing his purpose in you. Look at verse 14. He said, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Scholars agree that this phrase refers to the Shekinah glory of God. What is the Shekinah glory of God? The Shekinah glory of God was an Old Testament concept. You see, when the divine presence of God settled on the earth among His people in the Old Testament, they said, that is the Shekinah. Let me read you an example. Exodus chapter 40, look on the screen. It says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. He's talking about here in the Old Testament Exodus. When the people were wandering for 40 years, God put it on Moses' heart to build a tabernacle. Inside the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is where the presence of God was going to dwell among his people. It says, then the cloud, when the tabernacle was finished, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The divine presence of God rested on the earth. Listen, if you are facing spiritual suffering, here's what Peter said. It is because the divine presence of a holy God. God 
has chosen to rest on you. The Shekinah glory of God has so rested on you and in you and through you. They're not reacting to you. They are reacting to the glory of God in you. Be encouraged. Spiritual suffering.